Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Blue Wire. Can you imagine Ron Artest on this iteration of the Utah Jazz? No, I don't want to imagine that. (laughs) You put put Ron Artest on this iteration of the Utah Jazz, they win a title. I go to Vegas tonight and I put my 401k. I I go to the bank and I take out my Roth IRA and I go to the Vegas Sportsbook and I put all of it down on the Jazz. I hear you. That's how good and how game-changing of a player he was. Welcome to Unsalvageable, a Utah Jazz podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. With me, Sarah Todd, jazz beat reporter for the Deseret News. As always, my co-host, Greg Foster. And joining us today, a very, very special guest, Jabari Davis. We're so happy to have him here. He's uh, at Jabari Davis MBA on Twitter. You guys should follow him and follow everything that he says and does. I mean, he's an aspiring Fenty by Rihanna underwear model. He's a member of the 19 Media Group, co-host of NBA Baseline and the Never Meet Your Heroes podcasts. Such an honor. Thank you so much, Jabari. The the honor is truly mine. I I really do appreciate it. I was was really excited about this. So thank you for having me. And if you happen to get on the like Savage by Fenty site, I will eventually be seeing you there because that's where I get my pajamas. <laughs> All right. Hey. Shout out to Fenty by Rihanna. Shout out. <laughs> We've got a fun episode lined up. We're going to be discussing the Malice at the Palace documentary Untold that was on Netflix. Before we get into it, we do have a couple of housekeeping things to get into. First, we want to just plead with everyone, wear your masks, guys. And... PSA. If you can get vaccinated, if you haven't already, and just try to be safe out there. Um, and just a quick little uh, snowball off of this to the people. Uh, just a little uh, peek behind the curtains. We do read your comments. Yeah. We do read your reviews. Um, and to the people telling us to stick to sports, Never. I'm going to go. I'm going to go on record and say absolutely not. No, everything is political including NBA and sports. And we're going to talk about that kind of stuff. And COVID is raging right now. And people are not only losing their grandparents, uh, children of all ages. I read a story about a three-year-old who was intubated. I have a three-year-old. It breaks my heart. So yeah, we're going to talk about this. Wear your mask, get vaccinated. It is the, there is a foolproof plan of getting out of this pandemic. There is a light at the end of the tunnel that we should all be running towards and it's getting vaccinated and wearing masks until that happened. And we're gonna continue to shout it from the rooftops. So if you don't like it, don't listen. Absolutely. And uh, those uh, five-star reviews from those of you that still like us, we love Love those. Love (laughs) you. The second 
thing that we need to get into real quick is uh, something that we're recording this on Wednesday, and this was all over Twitter and social media. Uh, there was a, a video from a few months ago that surfaced of uh, Stuart Adams talking to a group about the critical race theory bill or suggestion or whatever people are trying to call it. He name dropped Donovan Mitchell as someone is not being very happy with that, uh, with, the, with the fact that that was even a proposed bill. Uh, here's the quote from Stuart Adams. I broke it up a little bit. Quote, there was pretty good backlash from the jazz and other sports organizations and the NBA and it stalled in the Senate. I hate to tell you that. So right there, he like hated, he hated to tell this group that his CRT breaking thing. Yeah. Really horrible that his CRT bill didn't go through. He goes on to say that he got a text from someone that said, quote, Donovan Mitchell is not happy with us. You start to get very popular sports stars like that, that are pushing back. We've got work to do to try to educate him. Let's get after him and let's go tell him what we're doing because I don't really think he understands what happened. And then he goes on to say that the critical race theory thing is a big problem, although it hasn't been a problem in Utah, but they're going to deal with it anyway. Um, Can I just interject really quickly and say that um, I have many a teacher friend mm. and can confirm to all of you right now clutching your pearls since we're talking about CRT. It is not a thing that is taught in Utah schools until you are in your second year of law school. Yeah, it's so you not, don't you don't have to worry about it. This is not and a part of curriculum. It no hasn't anywhere been, in the state. No matter how much certain people think it should be. <laughs> yeah. But you know how that goes. If you if you create a straw man argument, then you know the argument is is over that as opposed to addressing the actual issue. And it's always interesting to me, like when figures and sorry, I I, I recognize this white nest not necessarily been the time for me to chime in, but it's always oh, interesting cook. to me when when individuals, especially lawmakers, but in particular, you know, the, the people that believe the bull that they you know that they, that they that they spout. When they, if if somebody presents an idea that goes against what they believe or what or the nonsense that they're pushing, their first the first tactic is just call them ignorant and say they need to be educated. And that that very much is a tactic. Unfortunately, it's not, like I said, it's not just lawmakers. You know, their followers are also very guilty of that. It's really unfortunate because Donovan Mitchell, you know, from everything that I've seen, is the furthest thing from ignorant or uneducated. I mean, it's gaslighting 101 to like yeah. tell someone they're stupid and then mm -hmm. to just basically walk away from the fight. Yeah. And and Donovan Mitchell has first and foremost, Donovan Mitchell is a black man. And so mm -hmm. he has way more of a right to talk about like racial issues of any kind than any white man anywhere does. So the thing. <laughs> the the thing that that really kind of blows my mind about all of this and it really takes a special kind of racist to call a black man both uneducated and uppity <laughs> in the same statement like this it's 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 him railing about oh this this donovan mitchell this this superstar basketball player you know this it's it's the same trope that we heard uh with trump for years about the coastal elites it's mm -hmm. just that that those chickens have now come home to roost and it's the exact same line of thinking where oh he's this he's this uppity man with some sort of social status in the states 
and, and a following because he's a basketball player, how could he absolutely, how could he actually know what's going on about critical race theory, despite his own mother being an educator? <laughs> oh, Stuart yeah. Adams, shut the f- up challenge. <laughs> and so Donovan responded, it was, it was serendipitous, coincidental, whatever you want to call it, that Donovan Mitchell actually ended up on local radio today because, and the reason for that had nothing to do with this that like surfaced on social media. He was on there to promote the fact that he's partnering with Clorox and with Choose Your Donors, which helps to fund teachers who are paying for out of their pockets. So like he's literally on local radio today talking about education and um, he was asked about it. I mean, he was, he was asked sort of in a roundabout way about like, you know, where he got to the, how he got to the point of being, you know, so vocal when it comes to these sort of topics. And part of his quote to that was, you know, some people don't understand what's 30 minutes down the street. So seeing other people talk about certain issues, you know, being black in this country is a job. And then when he was asked specifically about Stuart Adams and what he had said, he said, I'm not really focused or I'm really focused on helping teachers. I don't really want to answer him. I will speak to that, but this is something that I put my heart in talking about the partnership with choose your donor. Or is it, is it donors choose donors choose.org. We should get that right. So that people know. And he was like, I don't want Stuart Adams to be the story today. The story today is that like, we're trying to help teachers get, supplies for their classrooms that include like just basic supplies everything from you know paper and pens and pencils to like wi-fi access and filters so that they can be like healthy and safe in classrooms what an ignorant man he's so stupid and unreasonable (laughs) you know what's interesting to me is like donovan mitchell and like in anybody like you know in a similar situation they have you know, work their entire lives in order to be, you know, one of the greatest at whatever that, you know, at their chosen field. Obviously, we're talking about basketball. And then on top of that, he also has to always be the one to answer for nonsense like this. Oh, by the way, while also being an incredible individual and 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 being a part of a ton of great causes off the court. I, I, I have to be honest with you, it's, it's it, and I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of this conversation when we discuss the doc. Like I look at these players and I read and, 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 and I see, you know, folks will say these like, oh, well, you know, like, 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 for instance, they'll come down on them for like the first mistake they make or like what, you know, or perceived, you know, mistake, whatever, not even recognizing the incredible journey that they not only had to get to where they had to go you know, to where they are, but they had to maintain what to, in order to get in order to stay there. Like, it's, it's amazing to me. So I commend Donovan Mitchell and, 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 and anybody in that type of spotlight that's willing to actively do the work instead of, you know, like just talking about it or like, you know, making speeches. Not just yeah. that, but Donovan Mitchell turned 25 years old yesterday. It should Donna, be his he is a He is a baby. He yeah. is like, and to be able like, you know, I was, I had barely graduated college at 25 years old. Mm-hmm. And this man has a national platform and carries himself with it's it's kind of a um it's a word i don't like to use a lot but it's it it really exemplifies donovan mitchell and he really does carry himself with with really an era of of just class Mm -hmm. about him and race and a plum (laughs) yeah exactly all of all the adjectives all the synonyms and he's just such an impressive young man 
And like, he could have very well gone on the radio today and been like, oh yeah, this guy, it's disgusting. He's a racist piece of And like to be 25, like that's exactly the type of thing I would have done at 25 years old. And him taking the high ground is pretty remarkable. Cause I mean, I, I truly as a white man cannot put myself in Donovan Mitchell's shoes. I can do the best that I can to empathize. And even then I cannot fathom someone coming at me like that and being like, you are both uppity and also very stupid and we need to educate this man. And like, it just goes back to like hundreds and hundreds of years of like just gross American racist tropes. And it's got me really worked up. Greg, are you saying that hundreds and hundreds of years of racism have impacted the way that people act and feel today? Critically. Critically. <laughs> are you, we we, we got to look into that one. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so sure. We're going to have to educate yeah. ourselves. When I yeah. was, I, I, educate I was having, yourself. I was having a conversation about this with my mom and the analogy that I always use when it comes to things like critical race theory and just minorities in this country being held back due to racism and, and racist policies and just the founding of America is let's say you're playing Monopoly, right? And me as a white man, I get 400 turns before my black friend gets to even roll the dice. Can you imagine the advantage that I would have in that game? But wait, what about when I roll the dice, I go straight to jail. Yes, and that too. I was just about to get there. Yes. Yeah. Like that's, of course it has an impact and and it's still, and it's still there through things like, redlining and funding our schools with property taxes and like there is an absolute laundry list that we have discussed on my other podcast check out bring in young money um if you really this really isn't the time and the place for that but i will i will leave it at that that like this is this goes back centuries and it's one of the oldest most racist tropes in the book and Stuart adams is disgusting yeah, and we'll I'll just we'll just close it out by saying that you know we we stand by Donovan Mitchell uh, and we're really impressed with him and we're sorry that he even has to address things like this. Now, last piece of housekeeping, Greg, you don't know this, but I got a message on Instagram criticizing this podcast. Oh, the Insta handle is just a bunch of numbers, so you know it's good. Right off the bat. <laughs> Hello, my name is first name bunch of numbers, and I have some incredibly takes on everything. A uh, bunch of numbers says, quote, FYI, whatever y'all are doing with the Russia accent or whatever got me clicking off your pod as soon as I hear it. Would have listened otherwise. You have racism towards <laughs> Russia? <laughs> I come to house. You fight me right now. My name Victor Vladivostok. I have entire Soviet bloc on back. I have hammer in one hand, sickle in other. You cannot break me. Victor is here to I lived you. through Nikita Khrushchev. You think you bring this to my doorstep? No, no, no. Listen, Victor is here to tell you that this is the number one Utah Jazz podcast. And whoever you are, a bunch of numbers, huge. There we go. That's all right. 
This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Let's get into this doc. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Let's, 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 it's time to get off the freeway. Time to, time to get somewhere else. So the doc is called, uh, if you haven't seen it already, or if you don't know much information about Melissa at the Palace, where have you been? Go watch it. It's great. It's called Untold Malice at the Palace. It's on Netflix. So everyone can see it. I was really excited when I found out that this was gonna be coming out for honestly two main reasons. Number one, I will listen to Ben Wallace say anything at any point. If he wanted to read me uh, Instagram number handles, I would listen to it because that man has a beautiful voice. And number two- He's a very, very handsome man. He's a very Still to this man. day. And Ron Artest is one of the most beautiful human beings in the world. So that's what I was excited about. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I, you know, I was really excited about this doc, even though I didn't know about it in advance. I just happened to see, you know, to actually hear uh, an interview with Bomani Jones and, and Jermaine about it, like the week that it was coming out. And I absolutely loved it. But I have to be honest with you, while I'm not, I don't want to be critical of the folks that, you know, put in all the work to, you know, to, to create a very good doc. It felt incomplete. Like it felt like there could have been another 20 to 30 minutes. And, and, and quite frankly, Jermaine O'Neill actually acknowledged he had footage from Detroit Pistons players, but they cut it. So, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a stylistic choice, but I, I feel like there's, there was more there on the cutting room floor. I feel like that's been pretty much everyone's criticism of the doc is that when it ended, it was like, wait, is there a part two coming? Because it just, it ended so abruptly and in such a weird way. Yeah. I mean, it ended on Jermaine O'Neal's quote where he said that, you know, as long as that building is going to be standing, it's going to stick with him. They show footage from years ago of the palace being demolished and then it was over. And I was like, okay, so now what? Like, let's talk a little bit. Uh, my second biggest criticism and me, me and Greg talked about this a little bit last night was that there wasn't a lot of, like, I thought that there was gonna be so much more criticism from the players and like, you know, montaging from the doc makers about the racial aspect of the media coverage of the brawl and like they did it a little bit where they were just like oh everyone was calling them thugs and they had a couple of people say some stuff that was just ridiculous but it was it was like a very short part of the doc and I thought they were going to get into it and I, I think that's an important conversation because we're still we're still dealing with that stuff today like it's still a narrative that crops up every few months about NBA players yeah I, and I wish they would have gone in more into like why ESPN and everybody shelved all of the footage that came out in this doc. Like that should be a major scandal. Yeah. Like that they had all of this and it wasn't presented in court. It wasn't shown um, on sports center or everywhere else. Cause I, I didn't watch the game live I woke up the next morning and saw it on sports center and was like texting my friends and was like, Holy. 
like this is one of the craziest things that that's ever happened and you know i still feel like just reiterating what you said we're still feeling that ripple effect and those shock waves like this was such a major event in the nba and really a turning point in a lot of ways and just to to kind of gloss over the dishonesty of shelving all of that footage like doesn't sit right with me at all this was david stern's nba and i don't necessarily yes. like to speak ill of the dead but i'm going to be very upfront and honest david stern's nba was a racist you know, entity it, it, it was you know they 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 looked the other way on all types of things the way that they came so heavy-handed not just in in the case of this but in in a lot of cases where it was very evident that you know stern was more concerned with what i'm going to i'm going to you know describe as satisfying the patrons and making sure that the patrons knew that these big black thugs were not going to be a, a threat to them then he was worried about the actual people involved in this situation, the people that he employed, the people that made, you know, like that, that assisted in making him, you know, David Stern or, or um, you know, Stern, as well as many other, you know, rich billionaire owners continue to make them rich. He didn't care. They didn't care about any of that. They were worried about the bottom line. It's the reason why they looked the other way with the Donald Sterling thing, you know, for so many years it's the reason why i actually retroactively am disgusted with myself for giving adam silver a whole lot of extra credit that he did not deserve because in, in reality he was a part of the nba he wasn't the commissioner he was a part of it the entire time as well they all knew the situation and they had no problem with it so the reality is this they acted like a business and they didn't care about the people that made up their business i mean it's yeah. like when you talk about acting like a business and not caring about the people only the bottom line that's exactly what Donald Sterling was doing for years. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. David Stern was the ultimate capitalist. Oh yeah. He didn't he did not see the NBA as anything other than a business. And what he wanted to do was make money. And the NBA made money hand over fist. And that means sweeping things under the rug. That means exploiting players or what you know which which i'm sure if you talk to david stern if he was still alive he would probably refer to them as employees mm-hmm. you know and it was it was as, as much money as the league was making the the owners were the ones who were taking the majority of that home and that's kind of how it goes it's like reverse trickle down it's it's trickle up economics capitalism yep exactly yeah he is a tried and true, true blue capitalist. Well, you, you know, the quote, uh, I actually referenced it on Brigham Young Money when you had me on there back in the day, but I did it just to bother you. Uh, you know, they, you know his Stern, Stern's quote, uh, you know, the, the best possible finals matchup is Lakers versus Lakers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Doesn't get, didn't give a damn about it. It was money. It was the bottom line. And that, you know, like I like I said, I brought it up to you know, just to mess with you, but the reality, you know, but that was his reality. That was absolutely his mindset. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, that man, could you imagine David Stern being alive for a Suns Buck series? It never would have happened. He would have been so pissed. <laughs> he would have been he so would have, mad. He would have reinstated Donaghy to make sure that didn't happen. <laughs> Scott oh, Foster, come on down. Donaghy, come on to all of them. It would have been it would have been a it would have been a it would have been a donaghy kane fitzgerald scott foster tony brothers alternate finals lineup for referees (laughs) you just got tim donaghy you hear the glass break and he walks out like he's stone cold (laughs) 
Uh, one of my notes that- when they, when Tim Donaghy came on the screen in the dock, I I just out loud yelled, "This mother!" <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't the only one. Just just looked at it and just scoffed like. Yeah. Like, who is this guy? He, he, you of all people do not get a pedestal. Like, you don't get a podium. You don't yeah. get a voice. All of that is gone. Like, get out of here forever, guy. By the way, Stern also oversaw that situation. And yes, he did. Scapegoated Tim Donaghy is the only one that did it when you know damn well that wasn't the case. No, yeah. I mean, Anyhow, that's I'm not sorry. that it, one person cannot rig the entire league. Come on, man. It's it's not realistic. It's not realistic to say it's just that bad apple. That's not really. I'm not saying all, but there were there were definitely more. It was definitely more than just one. So for anyone that doesn't know, the Malice at the Palace, November 19th, 2004, NBA game. Uh, you know, it's an early season game between the Pistons and the Pacers in Detroit. It's, I mean, this is such a big game that it's on ESPN. And so it's, I mean, imagine a Pistons and a Pacers game being on ESPN now wouldn't happen, (laughs) would never happen. And I mean, I love DeMontis Sabonis double doubles. Yeah. Um, All-star DeMontis. Yes. I mean, they're the, what point in the fourth quarter and the, the Pacers are clearly going to win this game. They're winning easy. And it all starts to go a little bit downhill when Art- Ron Artest, uh, while Ben Wallace is going up for pretty much like an easy layup, and they're like up by like 15, 17 points, something like that at this point, the Pacers are. And Ron Artest, he fouls them like pretty hard, unnecessarily, but he's like, I don't want you to score on me that easy. No easy uh, buckets. No easy buckets. And Ben Wallace's reaction to that was to give him the hardest shove, a shove you wouldn't see in the NBA today. It was a, that was a nice shove. He really gave it to him. Um, There is a little bit of irony there that a member of the the Pistons who coined the term, no easy buckets was the one getting upset about the, the, you know, the, the, the tides being turned. I found that to be like a little, a little poetic there especially the, that Pistons team that that was absolutely their mindset it was, was like they were getting their butts kicked in their arena in a in a, in a showcase game that that that's what that was yeah. about but hey shout out you know shout out to Paul Tinsley for being the little finger of that situation oh yeah <laughs> yeah man without that that it probably doesn't happen Utah Jazz legend Jamal Tinsley by the way <laughs> um and I was thinking when they were talking about it um you know Ben, ben Wallace and also some of the Detroit fans were talking about it being, you know, disrespectful being up by 15 points and still had their starters in the game and they were still fouling and stuff. And I was like, check out Quinn Snyder and his rotations. Uh, one minute left in a 20 point blowout starters are on the floor, buddy. <laughs> Worked out great in the playoffs, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. But you know, I always have a policy with stuff like this and we see it like, you know, in baseball with bat flips or college football where like, you know, a team's up six scores in the fourth quarter and they, they throw a 30 yard touchdown pass And my, you know, my retort to it is always, if you don't want this to happen, then stop it. 
if you don't want people to play their starters when they're up 15, don't get down 15. Look, I grew up, I came up watching Steve Spurrier coach the Florida Gators. I'm going to tell you right now, he was going up, he was going up top. It could be up 60. Stop yep. it. Stop yeah. it if you don't like it. That's what he would have told you. Exactly. All the exactly. unwritten rules and all of that stuff that, for one, it, it's outdated and silly, but also it's like, yeah, do something about it if you don't like it. Don't, you know, it's like, it's like a boxer being mad that he's getting pelted in the 12th round. Like Bob and weave place like <laughs> do something, a little bit of defense, move your head. You knew the job was dangerous when you took it. Exactly. Yeah. It just, I, I, I've always taken such exception to stuff like that about people getting mad about things like that. When it's like, there is a proven way for you to not feel this way guy. So the, the doc goes from sort of setting up the the foul and it it kind of shows like a quick edited together version of what happened afterwards which is uh like basically a riot ensued um there was at first it was kind of just like a little back and forth between some of the players ron artest like lays down on the scores table he's like my guys have my back also let me just take a beat and and Ben Wallace throws a headband, but like no one's really doing anything until a fan throws was a cup of beer, cup of water. I don't know. It was beer. Cup of yep. beer. And it hits Ron Artest as he's laying on the scores table. And our guy, Meta World Peace, said not no no peace today. And he ran up into the stands and went after where he thought the the cup came from and as soon as i mean after that it was chaos and you had fans that were coming down onto the court and but we they show like not everything it's kind of a rough edit of ron artest running into the stands stephen jackson follows him jermaine o'neill's getting in on stuff people are throwing stuff as the guys are trying to head out into the tunnel and actually get off the court it was mayhem and then we get a cut to Jermaine O'Neal, who I forgot had hair at one point. Uh, and he's saying, show people all the footage. And that has been a historic problem with what we know now as the mouse at the palace is that you just see the rough ESPN edit and all of the footage, it makes it incredibly clear that this was a fan problem, not a player problem. Yeah. And it's just such a microcosm of what we see outside of the NBA in news broadcasts across the country, in police footage um, with 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 body cams and everything else about it's it's basically doctoring the footage to push a narrative. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it is vile. It is disgusting. And that's exactly what happened in the situation. It was purposefully not shown to push the, this, the, the Indiana Pacers are, are thugs narrative. You've got loose cannon, Ron Artest. You've got a guy you can't trust in Steven Jackson. You've got the angry black man in Jermaine O'Neal. And it like, it's just, again, those, those same disgusting racist tropes that continue to just reappear what seems like i don't know weekly in this country yeah right 
it's because it's it's as American as apple pie. Like, like yeah. we, we, we 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 are we are more comfortable than that than a, you know than a pig in slop. Um, mm-hmm. So the NBA failed. They did you know for you know, only having three officers in the arena. Yes. Not having in arena security at that stage. Not having an emergency plan for it you know for the event that something like this you know, you'll were to break out. All of those things were incredible failings on the on the side on the on the part of the NBA. But you know, to you know, to each of your points, what they did was they said, okay, story, you know, the story has to be this. The narrative has to be this. We can't we can't let the, we can't let the patrons think that the, you know, like you know, that these guys are just gonna go wild, go buck wild and, and, and be running up in the stands. So we have to make it we have to send a message. We have to show that those three crazy ends are the reason why this took place, not because we failed at every every single step yeah it's i i still always come back to the, just the the lack of of security and lack of police presence there like how do you not know like the history of these teams these this was a team these were two teams that faced off in the eastern conference finals last year in a highly contested physical bloodbath type series you and know, as Reggie is, Miller said, whichever one of us was going to win that the previous year and then the year of the Malice of the Palace, it's like we were going to it was going to be the Pistons and the Pacers both years. And whoever won that Eastern Conference Finals was going to win the championship. Was going to win the title. Yeah. And it was like there is I bet if you talk to those those boys now, like there is likely no love lost between those between those folks. You know, like these were two teams that did not like each other. And how do you, as you know, somebody, whoever is running the arena, I don't know whose job that is, but not look in this and be like, this is a hostile environment. You know, these two teams have history and things, there is a potential where things could get out of hand. I don't think that anybody had it in their imagination that like what did go down would go down. But you at least have to have some sort of like method of preparation there. Three officers for a building that held twenty thousand in you know, with you know, with with the employees as well. That that just that makes no sense whatsoever. Three. Also, like apparently makes... three officers, including one who like didn't even understand the gravity of the situation. This guy saying like I didn't even know who Reggie Miller was. Like shut the what the are you doing here, man? So so think about think about what he actually said and it, think about what he's acknowledging. I just saw a black guy in a suit, so I was gonna I was gonna spray him. I was like, gonna yeah, spray you, him. You just is. yeah, you just told on yourself. <laughs> like like yeah. my man was just like, I didn't know who he was, so fuck it. Yeah. Like, he was, sorry, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which how many times have we seen that in this country with police and black men? A hundred percent. Count countless times. Endless. Yeah, it's 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 just it is history repeating itself, but this time on the grandest of scales in a primetime Friday night game on ESPN. And it's shocking to me that, you know, they cut to, you know, Bob Costas saying the NBA has a thug mentality. And then you also get cuts to guys like Stephen A. Smith. And it's like surprising to me that you didn't have any, like Stephen A. Smith, you've got like local news broadcasters, you've got national pundits and analysts. It's on SportsCenter, like every single day running all day long. And you've got nobody that's saying anything about the mentality, the attitude, the actions of the people in the stands that were acting worse. You, th- there was nobody 
standing up for these players? None. Business, the, the NBA's business partners are going to listen to what the NBA wants them to do. And that's actually, you know, one of my chief complaints with ESPN all these years is because they've been ter- they've been terrible for that reason. Because it's essentially just the NBA saying, yeah, we don't care how you know how you cover it, just don't do these certain things and don't make us look bad. Rather than you know, rather you know, because that, that's what should have taken place. Those entities should have been pointing the finger at the NBA, even if it's not just saying like, oh, it's full culpability, you know, for the NBA. There's 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 got to be some. There was none of that, and everybody was complicit. Exactly. Then, you know, it's not just all about like the palace. We do get like the backstories on the players involved. And we start out by getting some history on Jermaine O'Neal, him growing up in racist Columbia, South Carolina, you know, Confederate flags flying uh, at schools that he's going to and talking about just wanting to be the person in his family that changed the bloodline that like brought his family out of poverty and was able to create generational wealth. Again, we're still talking about this stuff because those were the things that were being talked about when the players protested in the Orlando bubble. Yeah. And I mean, and then we see after, after the, uh, the scene with Jermaine O'Neal, kind of the montage of him, you know, living in South Carolina and his his mindset of like, I need to change my bloodline. I need to rise out of poverty. They cut to Ron Artest. And if you know anything about Ron Artest's background and where he grew up, have you ever listened to Nas? Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you ever mm-hmm. listened to Mob Deep mm-hmm. or Cool G Rap or Pharaoh Monch? Mm-hmm. These are all people who grew up in Queens. Nas and Mob Deep specifically in the Queensbridge housing projects yep. where Ron Artest grew up. Everything you hear from Mob Deep and Nas and those rappers, Ron Artest lived through and more. This is a man who witnessed his friend get murdered on a basketball court. I can't even, I cannot fathom the amount of trauma that someone like Ron Artest w- went through as, as a child and as an adolescent growing up in Queensbridge. Of course, someone like this isn't going to be exactly what society wants him to be. You don't, that's not what happens when somebody witnesses that kind of trauma, who lives through that kind of, of PTSD. And, and, and I mean, I'm sure that is a man, he's talked about it, about the, the shell shock and, and the depression and all of the mental health problems that he's had and how can you not when growing up in an environment like that yeah it, it, it's it's not a shock that somebody that grew up in, in in those circumstances and faced the exact you know the the, the exact issues that he faced that they would develop you know an anxiety disorder like it, this is not a shock whatsoever now i know that we're a lot more and i i'm actually glad that doc you know addressed it because we're a lot more aware not yes. just you know you know not just sensitive to but even just aware because you know at least I, I'll speak for myself. When I was watching Ron back in the day, I called him crazy. Oh, I, yeah. you know, I, I, I did, did. You know, in, a, in a somewhat affectionate way, but I definitely was like, yo, my man is crazy. Like this, that's, that's what this is. It's he's crazy, but he's our crazy. There you go. Yeah. But I wasn't equipped. I wasn't equipped, you know, like as we are today, it's really unfortunate that that is, you know, that that was the case because basically it was like, it was an easy, it was an easy thing. It was like, okay, the, the crazy guy went crazy. You, you, you know that old uh, Chris Rock, you know, uh, uh, stand up where he talks about the tiger going tiger. Yeah, the yeah. tiger didn't go crazy. Like, like, so it was very easy to just say, like, well, look, that tiger went tiger, and everybody just bought, everybody just bought it. You know, not just not just white people, 
all of us did. And it's, I mean, it makes Ron Artest so much more impressive of a person because they, t- they talk about his mental health struggles that he, he talked about how he was constantly trying to escape anything and that everyone in life was his enemy at any point. And he talked about it. I mean, we're talking about back in 2004, he had a therapist, a psychiatrist that traveled with him. They talked about that in the, in the doc. And I'm thinking he was trying, he was trying before there was awareness and sensitivity and understanding at a level that we have today. He was, he was trying man. And it sucks that we, we weren't at that point back then because then his teammates weren't as understanding as I think they probably would have been today. If you had someone, instead of saying like, oh, he's taken off, he's being a coward. They might've been like, I, I like hope that he finds peace. They might pick up the phone and call him and be like, hey man, do you need help? Like it, it just might be different conversations from the people around him if there was a little bit of awareness. I just have so much respect for him because even back then he was trying. And yeah. to that, I'll also say like, if he had a psychiatrist that was traveling with him, number one, I know that it takes work on the part of the person that is in therapy. They have to do the work. But my guy needed a better therapist. <laughs> need a different dose. Need a different dose or something. Like well, yeah, yeah, like yeah. whoever was traveling with him and picking up a check wasn't doing a whole lot for him. It didn't seem like. <laughs> and to that to that point, I remember and all of us kind of you know scoffing and calling Ron Artest crazy. Do you remember a couple of years later when he won a title with the Lakers mm-hmm. and in the press conference he talks about he thanked his therapist. Yeah. He's, you know, and like a lot of us were like, this guy has a therapist. What a looney tune. Like he's, he's nuts. And again, like you said, he was trying and I applaud him so much for like getting himself in a better situation, not only as a team, but, but mentally and winning that title with the Lakers and, and going through that journey. Cause that's, that's really hard as someone who has been clinically diagnosed with anxiety and depression and has been in therapy for years. It's, it is so, so hard to make that kind of progress. And I have witnessed a fraction of the trauma that someone like Ron Artest has gone through. Um, so I, I view it ultimately as a bit of a happy story for him. And if you see him in this doc, he seems like he's made, uh, incredible strides and has made a lot of peace about things and is so open and honest. And you can just, you can see the strides that he's made. And again, like what was Ron Artest? Like 24, 25 when this happened? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like he was again, like a baby. Like mm-hmm. somebody throws a beer on me at 25. I'm, I'm probably going fine. after them too. Come, yeah. come on, man. Yeah. Like, Okay, so I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm I'm so happy that you that you referenced not not just because the Lakers won, but I'm going to I'll tie it together. As someone that has also been diagnosed with several different you know disorders, and someone that has gone to therapy for years, I was so incredibly moved when he did that because one, the stigma that goes along with it, like nobody wanted it. Even in 2010, nobody wanted to acknowledge like that type of thing. Black not men in particular. Black men in particular, we don't talk about going to therapy. A lot of us don't go to therapy when we need it because we think it's either a crutch or weak or whatever the whatever our reasons are. So I'm going to be honest with you. I cried tears of joy when he when he just exalted, you know, when he just exclaimed that. And it, even right now, I'm getting worked up. I'm not going to cry on you. It's not going to be, you know, the, you know, the Roy Firestone situation. But 
you know, like to this day, that still gets to me because I celebrated that not just as my team winning. I celebrated that as someone overcoming all of this and still and, and still being great in that moment. It was incredible. I mean, he was and, so good in that game seven. Uh, yes. And mm-hmm. Ron Artest, honestly, I mean, if, if we're being honest about just like being able to relate to people, he's the most relatable person, not just in this story, but like across the board for like NBA players, like he, he epitomizes what it is to be relatable because nine times out of 10, like any of us, like schlubs who don't play in the NBA, if we were given the, the fame and the pressures and everything that goes along with it, like, yeah, you buckle under it and you do things that aren't healthy. And I mean, there's all sorts of like things that come out of that. And of course you'd be depressed and anxious and like be going through all the time. What's more surprising is that there are players who just can handle it. That seems weird to have run our test being like, I mean, he was sitting on the, the on-court interview after that game, winning the championship, they showed it in the doc. He's sitting there and they're like, what's it like to be a champion? He's like, all I'm thinking about right now is that the guys I was supposed to win with in Indiana, I'm not with them and they didn't win. It's the most relatable thing to be at your peak and to still criticize yourself. That is so human. Honest. Be that open. Are you kidding me? Yeah. God, I love him so much. Yeah. Most of the people, most of us, I'll say most of us, like when we criticize these guys, None of us could really even handle the pressure of even shooting a free throw in front of twenty people, Hell let alone no. twenty. Hell no! With a with the game on the line and all that, like, you, like think about like like where the discourse goes. It's like, oh, how could it's like? Well, because it's a very difficult situation. Anyhow, it's yeah, hard like, as hell. I I couldn't even I couldn't even fathom doing that, let alone you know performing on the biggest on the biggest stage in the biggest moment and then over you know like accomplishing that. Like that's incredible, and still being having the presence of mind to be that. You know, in the moment, you know, acknowledging, you know, the folks that did not. Yeah. I don't know what I would have said. I, you, you wouldn't even be able to understand what I said at that I point. Know. I'd have just been like crying and shaking yeah. and they'd be like, what's wrong with her? And it's be like, no, she's just dying right now. That's what's happening. <laughs> even going back to like the malice in the palace and, you know, the ultimate, the thing that, that comes to mind about all of this was, you know, like the, the very triggering moment was Ron, leaving the situation and going and sitting on the scorer's table, which he talked about in the doc of like, this was my way of, of escaping. We had talked about this in therapy. I was giving myself a minute to like, I was taking a timeout. Yeah. And And like, he knew, he knew it was a little bit like asinine. He said that he was like, yeah, I felt like Mm -hmm. a big dog. It was like, yeah, look at my teammates over there, like handling the situation. So I'll just sit here and just breathe and count to five like uh-huh. it was yeah but who the who the f- cares you know not yeah. only that but like who i don't really criticize ron for doing that like that's a de-escalation tactic and like sh- like in hindsight sure he could have gone and just gone to the bench and like chilled but again like that was that was ron trying to just de-escalate the situation and like it didn't seem to me like he was doing it arrogantly and like, I'm going to go sit on this table and like middle fingers blazing. No. Ron did incredible work in that. Yeah. Moment. Incredible work. No, I mean, after the fact too, but um, you know, no, like, <laughs> like I, I gotta be honest with you. I love Ben Wallace as well. You know, like, yo, look, just, you know, Jam- Jam- Jamal Tinsley, you know, you know, was little finger. Ben Wallace was, uh, let's see, 
what would be the appropriate thing. And he was uh, Varys because continuing to throw the stuff and throwing the stuff at him while he was laying down, Jermaine O'Neal makes the reference. He says, what, you know, what do you think the fans are going to do? And I know that Ben in that moment wasn't thinking, I'm going to throw this and then they're going to throw this cup. But right. ultimately, yeah, like it doesn't, it probably doesn't happen even if he doesn't start throwing stuff at him while he's laying there. Yeah. It was just, yeah, a, yeah it's a terrible situation. Like you said, like ultimately, I'm not going to blame like Ben Wallace or like Ron Artest on like ultimate who who we blame is the guy that threw the cup because at mm -hmm. that point all hell broke loose. That guy was an hole. Oh, he was yes. just the like worst. just the worst type of person. Where like you know they had the interview with him or uh, that clip, and he's like, "Yeah, my only regret was not tripping Ron Artest sooner." You know, and being like, yeah. oh, I, I don't care that somebody else got beat up. That just sucks for them. Like, just the scum of the earth type yeah. of person. Because Ron Artest, he goes into the stands where he thinks that the cup comes from, and he just grabs the dude that, like, he thinks throws it, who happens to be the dude next to the actual dude. Yeah. And yeah. so his, what's his, doesn't matter what his name is. I'm just going to call him, like, the, the head cup thrower. Blue and shirt, white hat. Yeah, blue shirt, white hat. <laughs> he he's like standing right there, and so like as Ron Artest is lunging toward the guy sitting next to him, blue shirt, white hat trips him, and then like tries to pull Ron Artest off of him, off of the guy sitting next to him a little bit, but then like pretty much gives up. He's very weak and sad, and yeah, because you're going up against a an elite NBA athlete, somebody yeah. at the time like yeah. wasn't Ron Artest. He was first team All Defense that season, if I'm not wrong, or yeah, was right. la the, the season before, and like had won a Defensive Player of the Year. Ron's not the guy you want to grab. No, <laughs> Ron could have been a kitty cat. Personal, you know, personality-wise, just size-wise, he's not the guy. Like no. he's like it. he's like six nine and like what, like two fifty or something back, like that. Like and easily. jacked. Yeah, don't do yeah. that. No, yeah. don't do that. And that guy, that guy, he's asked, you know, like, oh, the guy sitting next to you was like getting clocked by Ron Artest. Like, don't you feel bad? And he's like, just laughs, and he's like, no habla. And it's like, this fucking, uh, he's That's, that just is the worst psychopath behavior. Yeah. Like ha that is somebody who completely lacks any morsel, any molecule of empathy. Just like all the, garbage I, I, human. I know why they did some of the fan interviews, but all the fans were assholes. Like, like oh my God. the turtle guy, the turtle guy. Like, I'll be honest with you. I wanted to punch that guy. Wait, like, are you talking about the guy that like went on the court and like kind of like lunged a little bit? 100%. Yes, that Dude. guy talking all that mess after the facts. Like, oh, you need to get lined up again. I wrote it's so just... much about that guy in my notes. His name was Charlie Haddad. And so Artes is back down on the court and this fan comes down from the stands and he kind of like, like pump fakes him a little bit. Like he's gonna hit him, has his like, like his fists clenched. And then Ron Artes is like, this and just punches the, he just decks the guy and afterwards this guy's like he's got a little bit of a, like a swollen lip and he's out on the concourse doing an doing a tv interview okay. cut cut to after the fact he's like hey my name's charlie haddad yeah he just like came at me blah blah blah, blah. and then cut to he's being wheeled out on a stretcher my Fuck man cut a, my man cut a wrestling promo he pulled a Ric Flair gimmick. It was unreal. I hate that guy. He so also much. had the he also had the audacity to say what Jermaine O'Neill did was a move, and it's like nobody 
No, and I mean, like, no. what Jermaine O'Neal did saved your life. Yeah, you're lucky he slipped because, my goodness. And I always thought that. I, I watched this. I watched it live. Yeah. Full, full disclosure, my fantasy basketball team at that time, I mean, I'm in my early 20s. I definitely played fantasy basketball. I had Ron Artest. <laughs> I had Jermaine O'Neal. And I had Steven Jackson. So my season was over. Yeah. And I was watching. I was watching. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And and yes, selfishly, I was thinking that in the moment, like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Okay, <laughs> already hit him. Light his ass. So let's go. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, I really do wish, honestly, I, I call him Turtle because he still reminds me of Turtle. I really wish Turtle had gotten what he really was. Yeah. Cause he, he said uh, Jermaine, cause Jermaine O'Neal comes over and he's about to like in this guy's life and then, but he like slips on the court. And so he like, doesn't connect fully when he goes to hit him and it would have been the end for Ch- my, our guy, Charlie. Okay. And then later on in the dock, he comes back this turtle guy and he's like, Oh, it was like so messed up how they made it look like it was my fault. It was your fault. You came on the court. <laughs> Everything. Everything is slowed down. Ron had, was pulled to the side. You stepped up and said, no, let's get this cracking again. You did it. Yeah. Stupid I'm, man. I, I don't want to hijack the uh, the conversation, but I this does dovetail into something that I want to talk about because we continue to see this behavior. We saw all sorts of examples of it over the season. Um, you know, one thing that comes to mind was Shane Kiesel uh, at... at uh, Bibbin Arena shouting racist slurs at Russell Westbrook. Um, Kyrie Irving was, had there, a bottle thrown at yeah, him. Yeah, Kyrie Irving had a bottle thrown on him. Trey, Trey, Trey Young on. got spit on. Russell Westbrook got popcorn some, on, dumped on him. And you know what? Ran onto the court. Yeah. Isn't that a mm-hmm. Wizards game too? Yeah. yeah and, and they took him out of the baseline. Yep. And I don't know what it is, but it's always like some dumpy fan who looks like he gets winded pushing a shopping cart and i want i'm going to promote a show if, if there are any cable pay-per-view type people out here who just so happen to be listening to this podcast i am going to plug a show idea that i have and that is let's get all of these dumpy turtle looking folks in a pay-per-view ring and actually have them go mono e mono against elite athletes you know this is not going to be a a logan paul nate Mm -hmm. robinson situation no you are going up against the best athletes in the world could you imagine the philly guy who dumped the popcorn trying to throw hands with russell westbrook (laughs) listen you love to uh, yeah, please, please sign me up for that. You basically just described pros versus Joes, but with a little bit of a 2021 twist. Like, it's yes. like you can call like, come get some or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. I would watch that. Like, that I, I fancy myself to be a fairly decent athlete. I got a D1 scholarship out of high school, you know? And like, I am 6'5 and 245, 250 pounds. Like, I am a very big dude. Some of the worst times I've ever had on a basketball court were guarding professional athletes. Oh yeah. I, I had, there was one, I, I played at a 24 hour fitness against Paul Millsap. It's a story. I, I, uh, I tell a lot. He ruined my life and all the guy did was shoot jumpers. And then yeah. I was guarding him, him closely. And he did a, a quick little pump fake and drove and dunked just to prove that he could do it. The other time that I had my life ruined was trying to guard Haloti Nada. Oh, what the, f- why? 
Why were you doing this? It was just, it was just, I need you to love yourself. (laughs) It was a local run and I was the only other big man. So it's like, okay, yeah, cool. You go guard the all pro nose tackle. Yeah. Lodi Nada, Jesus Christ. And again, like I, I like, I'm a big, strong dude and could not do anything against either one of those guys. It's such a different stratosphere of athleticism and coordination and strength and everything else. Like just stop doing stuff like that. You're not going to win that fight. You're not that guy. (laughs) You're not that guy. Someone that we haven't talked a lot about is uh, Steven Jackson's role in all of this, uh, which was basically just like being a homeboy and he's a ride or die man and being very proud of it. And I'm proud of him too. Like he saw Ron go into the stands by himself and he was getting pulled every which way by fans and he was wailing and Steven Jackson was like, well, let's do it then. Here we go. And he raced up there to help. I mean, he was, it was like every shot that we saw of somebody being in something where there was Steven Jackson too. He was like Troy Polamalu. He just like came out of the side of the screen. <laughs> as in like, a safety. <laughs> like, I don't know Steven how he Jackson's a real shot. one. Yeah. And then he, afterwards, you know, they get all the guys in the tunnel, which was like, mayhem also there was some dude that threw an actual folding chair he ends up being the only person in all of this charged with a felony he was charged one with a felonious guy. assault the yeah, one, black guy. The one black guy they showed, the one they, sh- they showed the shot it, but yeah they showed the shot of him throwing the chair and i was like oh why jihad why why you why yeah. man <laughs> david stern was looking at the footage him yeah, that one. Yeah. It was in that <laughs> moment he knew he fed <laughs> up. But it was exactly. it sucked because, like, I mean, that chair goes over, it hits a couple people. There's literally an elderly woman on the floor, like basically under oh, a stampede of people. And it's just like, how can this get any worse? And as these guys are like trying to go into the tunnel, they are throwing all manner of food and drink and anything that they have in their hands at these players through the tunnel. Ron Artest is being held by security and he's being pulled in. He's like, I can walk by myself. I can walk by myself. And Steven Jackson comes through finally and gets through and rips off his jersey. And he's like, we ride together. (laughs) He just (laughs) yells at the camera. It's so good. It it reminds me of the the Monday Night Nitro when (laughs) Hollywood Hogan. Oh, no, 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 sorry. This was like, this was a pay-per-view. Sorry, I'm getting my my wrestling mixed up. But when Hollywood Hogan uh, introduced the NWO and all hell broke loose, that's the only thing that I can really compare it to because it was the same thing, like fans throwing everything, absolute pandemonium. And like, could you imagine being in that situation, how terrifying that would be? Yeah, I would have been the one like, yo, let me get up out of this. Let me get it. Cause like, yeah. for one, if I see Ron Artest, come, again, I understand what the situation is. If I see Ron Artest or Steven Jackson or any of them coming up in the stands, it's like, Oh, it's time to go. It's yeah. time to go. I'm not sitting there throwing soda on them. And you know, I'm also talking about the players too. Cause like you've got, you've got what, how many players on a, on an NBA roster there and with coaches 15. and staff. Yeah. You're at, you, you have maybe 20, 25 people and you yeah. have 20, 25,000 people in that stadium. You're that outnumbered. I cannot imagine how terrifying that would be to be in hot like enemy territory like that well especially when like the boundaries that are usually there are no longer there anymore yeah, yeah, like yeah. fans yeah, are coming yeah. down on the court like those those are usually boundaries that aren't across there are no boundaries anymore and so there, there's mm-hmm. like the context is completely skewed at that point 
And then the yeah. officers, any officers that they, they put in charge to deal with that are, you know, grabbing Reggie Miller and grabbing players. And yeah, it, yeah, it, it was, it, it was, it was definitely the ugliest, you know, night that I can remember for the NBA, um, you know, you know uh, uh, across the board. Um, but ultimately again, you know, and I think we're all in agreement, you know, based on this conversation, I don't put it on the players. The players, yes, there's some responsibility there, but, you know, the ultimate responsibility, this was a failure of the league. And it yeah. just so happens that the players got, you know, got scapegoated. Yeah, one of the things that uh, Colin, my boyfriend, brought up yesterday or the night that we watched Mouse at the Palace was that, you know, in soccer, in like European soccer, international soccer, they don't put up with this shit because it's like if the fans start acting out, they just clear out the stadium and they're like, guess what? You get to play in front of no fans now. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so like, just that there was, it wasn't even that it was any action. There was, there was zero mention of it in the narrative at all. I mean, the couple of the things that were said, uh, we'd already talked about them calling them thugs and hooligans, all the players, no mention of anyone in the stands being a thug or a hooligan. They mm -hmm. said that, all of the hip hop and the tattoos and the drug busts in the a NBA need to stop. We're talking about 2004. There were no drug busts. Why don't we go back and look at the NBA's inception in the fifties when it was a bunch of dudes just doing Coke and drinking and then getting out on court. When, when the NBA almost caved in the eighties because yeah. of the cocaine problem. Yeah. And yeah. so like, and like the whole hip hop and tattoos thing, I still get emails from readers to this day, every year, there's a couple that come in. It's like these disgusting guys with their ha weird hairdos and their tattoos. And it's like, I don't think they know who they're actually sending the email to because I'm, I have more ink than most of these players. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And they were like, I'm sorry, we need, to, we need to send a message to the players. And there's, you know, all these pundits that are also saying like, oh, these immature and coddled players. It's like, what about the immature and coddled piece of in the fans who thought that he was going to get away with assault? Well, let me ask this, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking an obvious question, but why do you think it is that all, you know, you know, things like this have happened in hockey before. Things like this have happened in baseball. I've Your seen O'Neill brought it up. I've seen, but I'm saying ultimately what it boils down to is this. When we are judging other sports we and, and a, a, a crazy situation like that takes place, we see it as a black eye on that, you know, like on that exact moment, not even on the sport, but on that moment in the other in particular, when we're judging the NBA, we're judging black guys. And the reality is this, this is a, this is, a, you know, we are a prejudiced society and it is impossible. And I'm saying we, all of us, it is impossible to ignore that that is absolutely factoring in with, not just how we judge this situation with how the conversation, the general, you know, overall NBA conversation always goes and always has gone. How the media, you know, have members of the media have absolutely always, you know, discussed players. Uh, yeah, they got a little bit smarter about it recently, but this is literally like within the last year. And even still, there are still some that will say, it. I'll say what I'll say what needs to be said because they are that comfortable within it. The reality is this, the NBA is seen as a black, is as a black league. So, the, all of the negative stereotypes that people place on black, that's, you know, that, that comes out in the coverage that comes out in the conversation. I see it on NBA Twitter on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, and this is me speaking as an outsider and an observer and Jabari, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but what I see and I observe in this country, especially under the microscope of sports is black men and women are held A, to a higher standard, and B, 
are it, it there's this unwritten rule of how black men and women are supposed to act mm-hmm. you know well, and and, you, and how they're expect it's like how you want them to and then how you already expect them exactly to. yes 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 and we saw that perpetuated all throughout this documentary and we see it all the time even past that i mean examples that come to mind of course are colin kaepernick the the situation of when serena williams got upset with the the referee i forgot at the actual tennis match you know and there was the the angry black woman trope uh Mm -hmm. we see we're seeing it right now with naomi osaka and we saw another really good example of this is uh Simone Biles this summer in the Olympics and you know we saw people like like Charlie Kirk and these just like disgusting right-wing reactionaries talking about how she's a traitor to her country and this like awful like this awful sociopathic person with no empathy when it's like like if 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 someone of another color was doing this it wouldn't we wouldn't be having these same conversations yeah Let's just call it what it is black and brown athletes the the narrative is and like as a member of the media like i thought about this a lot especially in the past year is that like it's my job to tell their stories that they the, not just the way that they're expected to be told but the way that they they want them to be told yes and like i i have to do better at like listening all of the time and it's like black and brown athletes, like you said, Greg, are there's an expectation of how yes. they're supposed to act, even though there's an expectation that they won't ever act like that. And then that that they owe us something that like they owe the yes. Can I can I just like bottom line it for you? Oh my and god, people please! Are, people are going to say this is hyperbole, but this is the reality. There are a lot of people in this country that still see blacks as as property, and it, and, yes. and I, I mean that in a literal sense. And if you are not entertaining me, you are not doing something that I deem worthwhile, or doing it to the way that I want you to say to do it, or speaking in the way that I want you to speak. Well, then it's a problem, and you shut are up, going shut to up and dribble. Supposed to be doing. shut up, shut and up dribble. and dribble exactly. That that is what it really boils down to. We don't see, we don't humanize these folks in the in the league. By the way, I also want to state, obviously, you're a member of the media. I don't mean every single member of the media has been racist. I hope that no, I, no, hope, no. I hope that that you know, you know that that is you know that is clear. No, but, by and lar- but by and large, in a, in a, in a, in, a, in you know, yeah, by and large, it has been that. Um, yeah, but yeah. even even no. if even if it's not every single person in the media, there, there's still a personal responsibility that like, oh, I haven't been a part of the problem, but I, I still I still should be a part of the solution. Exactly. Yeah, it, 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 it's kind of like like with men's issues. While I may not have done some of those things or a lot of the things, I still, hey, look, I have to be a part of the solution. I, okay, I can appreciate that. But yeah. yeah, ultimately, but ultimately, a lot of people see it as like, hey, look, you're a character on my team. You do what I do. You jump, you run, you tackle, you do those things. And if you don't do it well, I have the right to tell you that you're a piece of shit. I have the right to do like to question your, you know, question your manhood, question your, you know, your, 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 your dedication to this, that and the other. And I also just mistreat you, straight out mistreat you. And if it gets to a certain point, I can throw stuff at you. And, and, and this is not just a doc, like you know, Greg, you were just breaking down. This is happening just this past, you know, just this past season, and it will continue to happen because that's the that's the mindset that this that we have in this country. Yeah, we're almost twenty. Yeah. We're almost twenty years out from Malice at the Palace, and people are still acting like that in arenas. Yeah, because fans, so many fans, you're it's right, have this idea of like, yeah, you owe me something. I paid, 
I paid this money to watch you dance. Now yeah. dance for me. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, it is, it is f-ed is the word that comes to mind. It is, yeah. it is absolutely reprehensible, you know, and we see it all the time with, with, you know, for example, Donovan Mitchell posting a, a, a picture on his Instagram over the summer that said free ish when talking about Juneteenth and people being like, yo, wh- why are you bringing politics in this stick to sports? Like, or the, the, he's a he's a member of society just like you are, Jack. He has every right to speak just just as much as you do. And the fact is, he has a bigger platform and and can be a harbinger for change in a way that you can't. And sorry if it, that doesn't mesh for you, but he has that right just as much as you do. Listen, and like it all goes to back to like what we opened the show talking about too, because a lot of the criticism when Donovan posted that stuff, a lot of the comments were like you make so many millions of dollars a year. Tell me what you're not free. Like, tell me how you're not free. And even today on the radio, Donovan says, you know, there are a lot of people in this world who don't know what it feels like to get pulled over and just to pray that this officer recognizes me as that millionaire. Yeah. As a white man, one of the more incredible, like eye-opening experiences of my life was hanging out with a black friend of mine. We went over to his house and then we were, I think we were going to go over to the park and play basketball and then go get some food or something like that. And his mom quite literally quizzed him before he went on the door about what to do if a police officer stops him. The talk. And that, yeah. And that, I have never experienced that before. Mm-hmm. And that was that was one of those like, very eye-opening like I live a very privileged life kind of situation because that's not something that I I ever have to deal with and yeah someone like Donovan Mitchell regardless of how much money he has I can almost guarantee you he's had that talk he's still a black man in the in America yeah yeah tell that tell that to Tabo Cephalosha yeah yeah exactly how's his leg no yeah. so so the thing the thing of it is is like you know and, and i'm sure you know, each of you have had this conversation when you have the birds and the bees talk in in my house we had that talk as well like by the time i was honestly i, I definitely had that talk by like seven or eight because i was already seen as a challenge or a, a threat or a problem at seven or eight and it, it is reiterated maybe not necessarily every time you leave the house but i got that reminder i got that booster shot probably once a month and especially if there was ever a time where i i came back and reported hey this happened and this happened and this happened and think about like think about like the psychological warfare that it you know, that it puts on people because even in those moments where i described a situation where i was 100 right and where i was being absolutely just targeted by somebody my mom had to sit there and look me in the eye as her as her child and tell me hey even though you're right you still can't say anything and that and that can't say anything. That's exactly that's the what, reality. Yeah, that's what these players were talking about in this doc too. Man, I'm so good at segues. Um, that <laughs> they, Jermaine O'Neal, especially these guys were suspended for basically half the season, most of them, yeah. uh, and they weren't allowed to talk about it. They weren't allowed to say like, oh, it was a riot incited by this one guy. Or they weren't allowed to say like, where's all the unedited footage? They weren't allowed to say anything. They just had to sit there and take their lumps. And it's the same thing because like, I mean, I truly believe like if we're talking about different players of a different color or if this happened in a different sport, maybe we're having a different conversation and maybe those players are allowed to speak their mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're they're not silencing Steve Nash in that situation. 
Hell no. No. They're not silencing Dirk Nowitzki in that situation. By the way, right after the you know right after the situation took place, the next three MVPs were Steve Nash and Dirk Nowitzki. Coincidence? (laughs) And I do want to go on record and say, like, I certainly do not condone the behavior of the Indiana Pacers. Like. They no, no, I don't up. think I don't think any of sure. us are saying like yeah, yeah but they will beat the shit out of someone. Yeah, sure, no. but I'll, but but I'm saying there was it, a it takes two to tango, and what we learned in this documentary, if nothing else, is there was a lot more than what we were told. Yes, and that is by design. It's cri- by design, and to me, that is criminal and a tragedy. And I, you could you could sense that that very palpable sense of frustration and sadness with Jermaine O'Neal because he was never in the same situation after that. Steven Jackson and Ron Artest went on and won championships. Um, and you can ju- you could just see how much it hurt and still affects him. And that man was, he was, he was over. I mean, and it, it followed him to the point that like, so I was covering the Warriors when Jermaine O'Neal went there at the tail end mm-hmm. of his career. And as soon as it was announced that Jermaine O'Neal had been acquired, Malice at the Palace was the first thing I thought of. So like, yeah, yeah it followed him. I mean, that's what anyone was going to think about those guys. And like, like you said, like Ron Artest and Steven Jackson sort of got to flip the narrative a little bit because they went on to have like other illustrious moments, but like, Reggie Miller retired without a ring. Jermaine O'Neal feels responsible for it. And then, I mean, he, it was like a fizzle, which is exactly I, how the doc ended. <laughs> I, I, got, I got one for you. I, under, I, I absolutely see, uh, you know, the anger and the fury and the hurt in Jermaine O'Neal because the reality is this. That situation probably stopped him from being a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like, you know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Like if they, especially if they go on to win the title and he's the, you know, he's the, you know, the, he's a hall of famer. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, yeah. I, cause, I, cause at that time, yeah. Reggie Miller was, was still a star, but Jermaine O'Neal was the guy. He was, the he, guy. he had surpassed Reggie Miller as the guy in that team. Reggie Miller was the legend, mm-hmm. but Jermaine but O'Neal was the guy. Jermaine O'Neal was, was the number one option. He was the all-star. He was, and you know what? And, I really do believe that if the malice in the palace it never happened, or if those, those boys got a fair trial, mm-hmm. we're probably talking about the Pacers winning the title that season. hundred Probably. Probably. They were so they good were so and good. so complete and so nasty on defense. Especially, especially because they would like, say they got, say they got suspended for 15 games each coming back. They would have been. So mad. Oh, been so, so mad. <laughs> God, could you just can you just imagine a full season of having Jermaine O'Neal in the paint while Ron Artest is on the perimeter? How? How do you and Steven Jackson hawking then, you from the other side? And then you've yeah. got yeah, you've got Steven Jackson in the corner on the weak man on the pick and roll. Meanwhile, on the yeah. other they're picking up steals left and right, and on the other end, Reggie Miller's just draining draining buckets. Yeah. Yep. Jamal Tinsley would have been a star. No, never mind. <laughs> I will say this: Jamal Tinsley on those in that same run that I would go to with Haloti Nada and Paul Millsap. Jamal Tinsley was a star. Oh yeah, I'm on that sure. run, like yeah. and like Jamal Tinsley was a playground dude. He grew up playing mm-hmm. and one basketball and watching him play twenty four hour fitness. That's like, ridiculous. When, when he would do that, yeah, like 
he looked he looked like Skip to my Lou, man. Mm-hmm. And even then, like, dude was, I mean, he was an off-the-bench point guard in the league who maybe averaged, I don't know, five, six points as a career. But again, like that, it's it's just another example of just how much better those dudes are than everyone else. All these dudes, you could we, we could literally see Chris Mim would give everybody the buckets. Uh, Mike Schmreck would give right. everyone yeah. the buckets. Yeah. Slava oh, Medvedinko. Medvedinko. Slava would give us the buckets right now. <laughs> Who knows? Oh yeah. Doing. Oh yeah. Anyhow, yeah. So I guess I mean the bottom line, and I guess on the dock for me is that really it made me like angry and sad, but in a good way, I'm glad that they made the dock. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I think that everyone should watch it. It was very good. I wish that there was more to it. That's, that's what my wish was. I really, I can't, I can't really disagree with any of that. It, it felt what we did get was great. Mm-hmm. It felt a bit, a, a bit like an appetizer and I was still kind of waiting for the entree. Yeah. We got the amuse bouche. I'm still, wa- I'm still waiting I'm still waiting mm-hmm. for the main course, yeah. but ultimately I'm, I'm glad f- at least for those who, who have watched the documentary that, you know, the main takeaway is that this was a huge injustice. Um, and I'm glad that it is come to light, even if it is 17 years later, uh, it's, you know, better late than never. Absolutely. Same here. Um, I just echoing, you know, the, uh, you know, those points, the reality is this, there's more there. I'm hoping that they get pressured. Hey, release the A or cut or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah whatever, yeah. whatever you got to do. They gave us the ESPN it. cut. We want all there the you footage. Go. I don't yes. want the ESPN cut. I don't want that. But ultimately um, I'm, I'm really happy that they made this doc, not only, you know, like to shed light on it, but also to you know, open, open my eyes. Like I live through it. Like it's great that you know, the younger, you know, younger cats, you know, and I, I think you guys are both probably younger than me, but um, you know, the you know, younger generation, it's great that, that, they, that they're now seeing it. But even me, I'm in my 40s. I watched it again. I was an adult. I was an I was an adult at that time, and I didn't even recognize how just absurd you know like everything about the situation was. So I'm glad they made it. Yeah, I was. I think I was uh, 17 uh, oh, okay. when at Malice in the Palace, and I, I mean I lived through it too. I I, yeah. I remember it like it was yesterday, and like you said, uh, I have I had my eyes opened. I I enjoyed it a lot. I just want to say one more time that like I love Ron Artest so much. I am so impressed by him just as a human. I want to hug him. Do you know <laughs> who he he reminds me a lot of is is Mike Tyson? Oh yeah. And if you know, and they went through very similar situations and similar trauma. Um, and you it's just so rare that you get somebody who is that honest about their situations and their personal flaws you know and about their thought process and their feelings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. somebody somebody that void of ego we're talking about an nba champion and like a borderline hall of fame player mm-hmm. i really don't think the younger generation a lot of people listening to this podcast understand just how good of a player ron artest was. god he was ron so artest good. in his prime was the best perimeter defender in the league Ron Artest is one of the greatest perimeter defenders the league has ever of seen. all time. That's include that, that's including anyone you want to name. Yeah. yeah, anyone you want to name. Could you imagine prime Ron Artest playing in this era? <laughs> like, well, he's one. He would be one of the one of the very. He would be Draymond every, if every not single better. Team, every single team would want him. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Jabari, thank you so much. 
for coming True. on. Tr truly my pleasure. I'll be honest with you. When Greg asked, I told him, I was like, I'm honored, man. Like I, I, I love doing shows, but I specifically love doing shows with, you know, honestly, whether you're like-minded, but just, you know, good folks and both of y'all seem like good folks. So I really appreciate the time. We had so much fun talking about this and everything. Thanks for chiming in on our bullshit at the beginning too. Again, if you want to follow Jabari, he is on Twitter at Jabari Davis. You can follow the show at Unsalvageables. You can follow me at NBA Sarah. You can follow Greg at Dad Sham Dad. You guys know the drill. Do all of the things. Follow, rate, review, subscribe. Give us those five-star reviews. Give Victor five-star reviews. He had a bad day today, as you well know, and so he really needs a, a little bit of a boost. You doing okay, Victor? Dude's <laughs> Victor's still mad. Okay, we'll get back to him on the next episode. Um, thanks, you guys, for stopping by, and we're going to come back uh, next time. We'll let you guys know we've got a little surprise. We're going to be doing a bit of a giveaway, and we're going to be doing a mailbag. So send your questions in, send them to either of our Twitters or the Unsalvageables Twitter, or you can send us a novel if you'd like to, unsalvagablepod at gmail.com, unsalvagablepod at gmail.com. That's a wrap, boys. We will talk to you guys next time. Goodbye. Dude, I got that Instagram message and I was like, this mother <laughs> Who does he think he is? Like, he was just like, oh, I won't be listening. Good. Bye. Fine. <laughs> <laughs>